Thanks for being at Freedom today. I hope that whether it's your first time here or you've been here for a long time, I hope you already feel at home in this place and I hope that you already sense the presence of the Lord here. Um, You know, we live in the middle of the Bible Belt and church is just a part of what you're supposed to do. And it's easy for us to fall into a mindset of just feeling like it's time to check the box. It's time to do our religious duty. It's Sunday morning. It's that hour. So let's go check the spiritual box and make God happy and hopefully... We'll get some kind of blessing during the week for having done that. And I just want to remind us this morning, that is not what today is about. It is God's great pleasure to meet with us here today. It is His earnest desire to draw us in to a really close, personal, intimate place with Him. That we would know Him as far more than just a distant God whose story is recorded in an old book but a living Father who's present with us and who speaks to us. And so I know when you look around the room, you know, we represent all kinds of experiences and all different kinds of things going on, and we're at a lot of different places in our lives in terms of of how close we feel to God or what we're expecting from God or um, what we would hope to have happen in a time like this. But regardless of where you've been when you walked in the door today, we share this in common. We all have a Father who loves us and who wants to speak to us today in ways that are relevant and are real and personal. And so I just want to invite you as we're beginning to dive into the Word. I know we just prayed, but I'm going to ask you to bow together with me in prayer. And I'm I'm not going to invite you to listen to me pray. Would you just from your heart just say honestly to God what you long for today? If you're hungry for a fresh encounter with him. If you'd like to hear his voice speaking to you, if you want to know him better, would you just tell him that? Would you ask him to draw you near and to just do a fresh work of stirring in your heart and drawing you in today? Father, we do welcome your work here today and we welcome the voice of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move freely in this place. We We give you reign in this room. And as we invite you, we also realize that there is an enemy who would want to hinder your work in our lives. And so we just take authority in the name of Jesus over any demonic spirit that would seek to hold people in bondage or to interfere with with what God's doing in this place today. We bind every spirit from the kingdom of darkness. We command you, be silent. Leave this room. Leave the people who are here today and go where Jesus assigns you to go. Never return to this place. But Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come in and fill our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me also say a word of welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you be a part of Freedom Online. We are today going to be in a little book in the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you a head start. I'm not going to turn there for a little bit, but it may take you a little while to find it. We are going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Not Tobacco, but Habakkuk. And uh, if you don't know where that is, I encourage you to either turn to the table of contents... Or go to Matthew and turn left 20 pages and you'll stumble on Habakkuk. It's a little three-page book, so you may want to get a head start finding that. I want to begin with what may seem like a, an odd illustration, but, but you'll get the point. I want you to imagine, if you will, that you are a part of, of one of the relief organizations that exist in America that uh, works to alleviate suffering and poverty in uh, third world countries. And that as a part of that... Um, The organization that you support reaches out 
to one of, of the poorest of the poor in a very backward third world nation and brings them out of a, a place of, of great suffering and political oppression and actually brings them to the U.S. and sets them up in an apartment so that they're going to now live as a resident of the United States. But everything that we know is foreign to them. And so they've been set up in an apartment and all of the things that would help to make life more comfortable has been sent to that apartment. And the organization now sends you after a week or two to go check on this new resident of the United States to just see how they're doing and how they're adjusting to life here. And so you go over to visit your your new friend for the first time in their apartment. And when you walk in the door and you look around, you begin to realize there are some things that just aren't quite right. For instance, you you look on the wall and you see a flat screen TV hanging there, but taped across the front of it is a work of art. There's a painting there and it's been taped in place over the screen. And as you look at it, you realize that they're using the flat screen TV as a picture frame. And you walk a little further as you're talking with them and asking them about how things are going. And you you get to the bedroom and, and you notice something really peculiar there that their brand new refrigerator that's been sent over for them to enjoy is actually in the bedroom and it's turned sideways instead of the door facing you. The side is facing you and this beautiful new stainless steel refrigerator is sitting there not plugged in and turned cattywampus like that. And you ask them about that and they say, oh, yeah, really enjoyed this. This is... This is the full-length mirror that they sent over for me. You see, you, you look into that and you can sort of see a reflection of yourself. And you're just shaking your head trying to understand it. You look down and you see that the door is propped open with kind of a peculiar-looking little door jam, little door stop stuck up under it. And when you take a, a second look at it, you realize, that's, I don't think that's a normal door stop. And when you look closer, you realize it's actually a smartphone. And when you look closer, you realize it's actually an iPhone. A brand new iPhone has been sent to them as a part of their, their welcome get adjusted package. And you ask them, you know, what is this? And they say, oh, that's, that's the doorstop they sent over so I can, can prop the door open. And as you're trying to take all of this in, flat screen TV used as a picture frame, you know, stainless steel refrigerator being used as a full length mirror, iPhone being used as a door jam. And you're just shaking your head thinking, where do I even begin to try and explain so that you'll understand? None of these things are being used in the way that they were designed. Now, I realize that's a silly and absurd picture for us. But I want you to to think this morning about how that is a picture of how so many Christians live their lives. That they live as if they were the flat screen TV just being used as a picture frame. Or the refrigerator that's never been plugged in, that's just functioning as a rather poor full-length mirror. Or the iPhone that gives you a capacity to do so many things, but it's just being used as a doorstop. Because they don't know what they were made to do. I would contend that this describes most of the Christians that we've ever known. That we found some way to function in life. We found something useful to do. I mean, a picture frame is better than nothing to do with a flat screen TV. I guess if you can't use the inside of a refrigerator, maybe if it's shiny enough, you could use it as a mirror. And if your iPhone couldn't be used for anything else, I guess you could kick it underneath the door and, and make it stay open. But what a pitiful, sad use 
of devices that could do so much more. And I just have to believe that so many times God looks at us and feels the same way. Just going, I've made you for such a wonderful, special purpose to do so much, but you've never gotten in touch with me to discover what that is. And in the absence of hearing my voice and understanding my plan and my vision for your life, you've substituted some weak poor, dumbed-down idea that you came up with of what you could do with your life. I don't know if we should say amen or oh me. It's, it's just sad. And yet, I think a lot of us are probably right now wondering, how much of my life have I spent doing that? How much of my life, in the absence of having clearly heard the voice of the Lord and understood His vision for my life, how much time have I spent just being a picture frame or a doorstop instead of functioning in the way that God made me to function because I don't know what on earth God put me here for. Can you identify with what I'm talking about? You think that's a problem today? I think it's an epidemic. And so what we want to do today is just press in on that one idea. What is God's vision, purpose, and plan for your life? Not something that we get to make up and dream up and say, hey, God, how about blessing me as a doorstop? How about making me the best picture frame I could be? Instead, how about saying, God, would you show me what it is that you have for me? We're going to turn to Habakkuk now. And um, just to set the stage, because I'm guessing not a lot of us had our quiet times in Habakkuk this week. But uh, to just remind you of what's going on, I'll tell you that relate pretty well to what's happening when Habakkuk writes this tiny little book. Uh, in uh, among God's people, things are going on that sound pretty 21st century. They are uh, dealing with a recession, which is causing financial hard times for most everyone. People are struggling to find work. They're struggling to just make ends meet. Uh, there's a, a great deal of conflict. People feel like they're always under attack, and they specifically are dealing with an ongoing threat of terrorist attacks and are facing repeated terrorist attacks. So it sounds a little bit like the 20th and 21st century, doesn't it? When Habakkuk begins to write. And uh, we won't go back and read all of this, but I'll just tell you in the first chapter, Habakkuk asks some real heartfelt good questions. He asks a half dozen questions. He asks just real straightforward things like, God, why on earth is this happening? Why is this happening to me and why is this happening to your people and how long is this going to go on and are you going to do anything about it? Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Sometimes I would read questions like that in the Bible and go, oh my, (laughs) I'm not sure it's okay to talk to God like that. Well, I want to remind you, it is okay to talk to God like that. That's why he records questions like this in his word. He asks very straightforward questions and God begins to interact with Habakkuk about these questions. And so when you get to chapter 2, what you have is Habakkuk having... Poured his heart out over the frustrations and confusion as to what's going on around me and what's my role in this. What am I supposed to do? And God, when are you going to intervene? Asking the right questions. Now he says, here's what I'm going to do until I hear from God. Because I'm not just going to make up a plan as to what I'm going to do from here. My plan is going to revolve around this one thing. I am going to press in and I am going to to hear what God has to say about this and about my life and what I'm supposed to do going forward. And so in the opening verses of Habakkuk 2, we discover five things. 
some of these things Habakkuk says, and one or two of them God says back to Habakkuk, all put together five things that become sort of an instruction plan for what do you do when you really need to hear from God as to what his vision is and what his plan is. And so that's what we're going to do today, press into those five things. So let's read together the opening four verses of Habakkuk 2, where it says, Habakkuk talking here, he says, I will stand like a guard and watch. I will wait to see what the Lord will say to me. I will wait and learn how he will answer my questions. And the Lord answered me, write down what I show you. Write it clearly on a sign so that the message will be easy to read. This message is about a special time in the future, and it will come true. Just be patient and wait for it. That time will come. It will not be late. And then he offers this final thought on that. This message cannot help those who refuse to listen to it. That is a haunting statement to me. Because I just think how many times in my life... Has God had a word for me? He's had a word of instruction where he wanted to show me what he's doing. He wanted to show me what's coming. He wanted me to understand what my role was and what I needed to be doing. And I've been so busy. I've been so distracted and focused on my own agenda and what I thought was going on around me that I didn't pause to press in and listen and see what God had to say about that. And how many times has God said, oh, I had a word for you. I had clear direction that I wanted to give, but it doesn't do any good. Those words words don't help anyone who isn't willing to listen. Have you been guilty of the same thing as me? Just running on ahead with your own agenda and just taking it as it comes? I'm determined I'm not going to live the rest of my life that way. I turned 50 a couple of weeks ago. I spent way too many of those first 50 years living life Way too much on my own terms, just living by my own wits. And with the passing of time, I've come to appreciate more and more that it's only when I pause to see what God has to say about the situation that I ever have any effectiveness in what I do. I want us as a church to be a people who say, God, we don't want to waste any more of your words. We don't want to waste any more opportunities. We want to press in and see what you have for us. And so five things that stand out in these four verses that I want you to notice today, if you want to know God's vision for your life and what he's saying about what's going on and what he wants you to do. And I don't usually do this, but it fit this. So they all five start with W. So we're going to start with number one. The first thing, if you're going to know God's vision for your life and what he's saying, you've got to want it. It all starts with desire. Habakkuk, I mean, you you just hear desire in what he's saying here. I will stand like a guard and watch. I'm not going to be distracted because this matters. I've got to hear God on this. You just hear the earnestness in in what he's saying here. And it's worth knowing. You're not going to recognize and hear the voice of the Lord and know the will of God unless this is something that you're passionate about. I mean, when we just like randomly sort of throw up, Lord, just show us your will for our lives. And then we just press on and just do whatever we were going to do in the first place. Don't expect God to interrupt that because he's usually not going to. There has to be an earnest desire to seek him. It's part of what set David apart. If you read the scriptures, I mean, David just leaps off the pages of the Old Testament that, I mean, we all want to say, well, God loves everybody the same. It doesn't seem that way. 
Does it? Am I the only one that reads the scripture that way? I mean, I read the Old Testament and I think God has favorites. You know he does. I know he loves us all, but you can't tell me that God isn't crazier about some people than he is about others. And David was near the top of the list. I think some of us are scratching our heads going, I'm not sure if that's true or not. The word says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God has people that he likes more than others. David was really high on God's list. I'm pretty sure David's picture was on God's refrigerator. I mean, he, he just was that kind of guy to, to God. God's crazy about David. What is it about David? I'm convinced one of the things is David was just so in earnest to know God and to know what God is saying. I mean, he's constantly writing and saying and praying things that you just feel the, the zeal and the earnestness of it. And I mean, sometimes he's doing it in ways that just almost take your breath away. Because, you know, on the, on the downside, when David's having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, life's really chaotic. And he's just going, how long, oh God, am I going to have to put up with this? Are you going to intervene? When are you going to do something? How long do I have to deal with this, God? Are you going to be just? Are you going to do what's right? And apparently God liked that. He likes David's honesty, but he apparently loved David's earnestness in in the way that he approached God. And David would say things like, I want to hear what God the Lord says. My God, I want to do what you want. When David would write, he'd say things like, you know, God, I crave this. I hunger for this. I thirst for this like a deer pants for the water brooks. It's not just like, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool to know God's will. But if he doesn't say anything, I've got a plan anyway. No. David is saying, I'm not going forward, God, unless I hear from you. My soul is thirsty for you, God, and what you would say to me. And God loves that kind of earnestness. And God shows up and speaks to a heart that seeks him earnestly that way. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will look for the Lord your God, and if you look for Him with all your heart and soul. Everybody say, all your heart and soul. With all your heart and soul, then you will find Him. Unfortunately, at least here in America, in the Bible Belt, what we've been taught is to say your prayers. Literally, isn't it? I grew up in a Christian home. I am so grateful for my parents and for the example that they set and the things that they taught me. And one of the fundamental things was as a kid, every night you would hear, you know, with the good night, sweet dreams, whatever, always be, don't forget to say your prayers. And I understand why that's important. I understand why we want to reiterate to our kids, you know, be sure and pray when you go to bed. But unfortunately, I think for most of us in the Bible Belt, something got transferred over that wasn't healthy in that. Don't forget to say your prayers. In that, most of us learned a religious ritual that is just the equivalent of checking a spiritual box. Say your prayers. And by that, we interpret that typically to mean there's this little monologue that I do with God. God, be sure and bless this and this and this and don't forget them and don't forget them and we need that. Thank you for the trees and flowers. Amen. Which means I'm signing off now. Click. I mean, isn't that essentially how you learned to pray when you were a kid? And unfortunately, a lot of us never outgrew it. We still pray a modified version of that. That prayer is just a little monologue that we do with God. And if we're, if we're on today, if we're really doing our spiritual duty, we go down the line. God bless this and bless this and don't forget this. And, and we get through with our monologue and then we sign off and hang up. 
And that is not at all a picture of what God calls us to. It's not a picture of a relationship. And it absolutely does not model anything that positions us to hear what God would say. It doesn't position us to receive a word about what he's saying and what he's doing or what he plans for our lives. We've just done our duty and checked the box. It doesn't sound much like look for him with all your heart and soul, does it? This is the audience participation part. I mean, doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that eat at you a bit? I mean, maybe y'all are just spiritually miles ahead of me, and I'm the one that needs to to catch up here, but doesn't that really just kind of eat your lunch to think how many times we've just said our prayers and haven't come close to this thing of seeking God and listening for God? Well, what does that look like? And how do we begin to shift from where we've been to a life that looks more like David or Habakkuk? Well, I'll tell you, for starters, it's got to be something that becomes a part of what you do every day of your life. And you've got to want it. You've got to press into it. Now, if we're honest, and I want us to be, I don't want this to be just some formality that we do on Sunday morning. I am sure that there are people in the room, there's some people watching and listening online, that if you're honest with yourself right now, you'd say, I'm already in trouble on number one. Because I know I don't want it enough. I don't have enough desire. I wish that I did, but I don't. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I, mean, I just want you to think about that for a minute. Is the desire already present for you? Because I think if a lot of people are honest, there'd be a number who would say, here's what I've got. I've got a lack of desire, but I have desire for desire. I wish that I wanted it. You know what I'm talking about? You're at that place where it's like, that sounds really good. It sounds desirable enough that I wish that I had a real desire for that. Okay, that's a beginning point. God will take that. God will take that and run with it if you'll ask him to. So I'm going to invite you right now. You don't have to wait for the invitation. I'm going to invite you just silently to say a little prayer if that's where you are. God, I need you to take my little feeble wish that I had greater desire. And I need you to just fan that. That, that little ember, I need you to fan that into a flame of burning desire. I need you to, to transform a little wish into an overwhelming desire. Would you ask him for that right now? God, we thank you that you're faithful to that. So it starts by wanting it. And then, all right, a person who wants it, then how do you press in? Four things that will flow out of that. The next one is, from the passage that we read, you've got to withdraw. You've got to get alone with God. Habakkuk said, I will climb up into my watchtower. What in the world is a watchtower and who's got one? Nobody does today. Not a literal one. I don't think Habakkuk had one either. He's he's giving us a picture. He's saying, I'm going to that private place that gives me perspective. I mean, imagine if you can what it would have been like in, in Habakkuk's day. If you could have had literally a watchtower in your backyard in a day and time when you couldn't check out the TV or the Internet and find out what's going on in the world around you, the closest you could come to gaining some perspective as to what's going on would be to climb up in your personal watchtower, which would give you a unique perspective over what's going on around the city and beyond the city walls to see what's happening in terms of are there armies approaching, what's happening in the world, what's happening in the city. It gives us perspective to be up in the watchtower, which, by the way, is a place that you go and be alone. Well, 
You don't need a literal physical watchtower. It's a picture of this place that we go that gives us different perspective. It gives us perspective about what's going on in our lives, what's going on around us, what's happening in the world. And it's a place that we go retreat to get alone and get perspective. What Habakkuk is saying is, I am committed to going every day to my watchtower, to that place where I go get alone and I let God reorient me as to everything that's going on around me. And apart from this, you'll never get it. You have to have a time and a place that you go get away. And this isn't getting any easier with time, is it? You know, a few decades ago, the the people who were futurists, who were forecasting what life's going to be like by the year 2000, they were talking about just that people were going to really possibly struggle with despair because they were just going to have so much time on their hands with nothing to do because everything was going to be so automated and life was going to be so easy that people just wouldn't be able to figure out what to do with all of their spare time. Wow. Has anybody ever missed anything any worse than they did on that? It's like life just gets busier and crazier and noisier by the day. So how do you press in to a a watchtower kind of place in life? And isn't this like ten times harder when you're raising kids? How many parents are in the room? Did it get easier or harder to withdraw when your kids came along? Oh my goodness. I mean, kids are wonderful, but they are not wonderful for your devotional life. They make it so difficult. Let me offer this one true illustration of how you can redeem time even while you're in the midst of the busy time of raising kids. Susanna Wesley is as great an example as I can think of. How many of you have uh, any, any uh, past with the Methodist tradition? Let me see your hands. A lot, of, a lot of former Methodists in the room. You'll appreciate this because Susanna Wesley was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. There are few men or women who have ever had greater impact on Western culture than the Wesley brothers. John Wesley who is essentially the founder of Methodism. Now, you may just think of it in modern terms and go, well, the Methodist church the last 20 or 30 years is in decline. Yeah, it is, but I want to tell you, in the 18th century, it's what God was up to. That was such a huge part of the sweeping revivals that so impacted and and helped to even bring about the birth of our nation and and who we were in the the early decades as a country and and beyond the the bounds of the, the U.S., And his brother Charles, who ended up writing more than 6,000 hymns. I mean, these guys had been so greatly used of God. And John Wesley would say later in his life that it was the prayer life of his mother that shaped his life more than anything else. His mom's prayer life. Well, it's worth noting that Susanna didn't just have those two boys. She had 18 children. If she'd have had one more, they'd have done a reality series about her life. Eighteen kids. That's what happens when you don't have a TV. I mean, that's a lot of kids. And yet she had this incredible prayer life. Well, it's interesting to note, she didn't wait till her kids were all gone to, to have a prayer life. Her normal practice was that she would go out on her porch to her favorite rocker. She would sit down, take her apron, and completely cover her head. And she'd stay that way for an hour at a time every day. And underneath her apron and her rocker, she would get along with God and she would talk and she would listen. And the kids understood one primary thing about that time. If you disturb mom, you will die. 
That was the rule of the Wesley house. When mama is in her rocker on the porch underneath her apron, if you mess with mom, you're going to suffer. The point of that story is this. You just got to find a way. Everybody can find a place and a time. It may require you being a little militant, a little extreme about setting some boundaries. But you realize how far the pendulum has swung, don't you, on the side of, oh, we've always got to be attentive to our children. We can't neglect them for any moment of time. We've got to always have our cell phones on, and every time they text or you know anything comes through, we've got to give attention like this. I want to tell you, your kids are far better off. If they see you and me modeling a life that says, there's a window of time, you don't get me. In fact, they're even better off if there's two windows of time that they don't get us as parents. When you are with your spouse, giving them some one-on-one time, and when you are with your God, having one-on-one time. I guarantee you, you'll raise healthier kids when they've seen those boundaries modeled. Susanna Wesley modeled that. She lived a life of faith, and her prayer life drastically impacted the lives of her kids. So you don't, need to have, you don't have to go build a watchtower, but figuratively you do. And it may be underneath an apron. It may be on your back porch. It may be in your bedroom. It may be in a closet. But you've got to do like Susanna Wesley did and like Habakkuk did. You've got to go withdraw and get along. Luke 5.16 says this. Jesus often, everybody say often, slipped away to be alone. Everybody say alone. Often away to be alone so he could pray. This was the habit of Jesus. A world of needy people who couldn't be healed by anybody else. Nobody else could set them free. Nobody else could lead them to salvation. Only Jesus could do it. The need was so great. And yet Jesus on a daily basis would go, time out. I'm not going to be of any use for very long if I don't go get alone with God. That was his habit. Go find a place alone. What is your place? Where do you go? What is your watchtower? Where do you go to be Under the apron to go be in the presence of God. I'll tell you for me, two spots do it. One of them's down at the bay. I don't do that on a daily basis, but every week I'll find a day or two that I slip down to the bay and I just feel God's nearness when I'm just, I get to a shady spot overlooking the water and have time alone with God there. On a daily basis, my spot is in a comfy chair that sits right next to our fireplace in the corner. A couple of good things about that chair. I love the fireplace. It makes me feel cozy. It feels like a, an intimate situation where you'd want to converse with a friend, and that's part of why I, I get right there. But it's also a comfortable chair that is not tall enough that I, I can't recline in it. I can't rest my head in it. So it's not a chair you'd ever want to sleep in. You get the point. You don't want to get in a recliner and recline. You don't want to do this in your bed. You want to get someplace that's comfortable to be with a friend. I actually developed the practice as a very young adult of uh, setting up another chair. I don't still do this, but for years I would actually have a chair for me and a chair for the Lord just as a reminder, He is here. He is just as real as the chair that I've set out for Him. And for my time to talk with Him, I'd, I'd talk with Him as if you, He were physically sitting in that chair. You need to have a place. Now, I don't know if Jackie realizes this because I do it when she's not there, but I always just feel cozier like I am sitting down with a friend. When the fireplace is lit. So even though it's 80-something degrees outside, I still go in and light the fireplace just while I'm having my time alone talking to God. I know that's weird. Nobody else does that. That's just me. But God and I have fireside chats. So this week when it was 80-something degrees outside, I'm still in there sweating by the fire because I just it helps to set 
the mood for me. That may seem just totally goofball to you. I don't care. You need to find your niche. You need to create your watchtower and withdraw and get alone with God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. You know what he's talking about, don't you? It means you don't get to pray in Elizabethan English. You know, the whole thou and art and all of this stuff, unless you're talking about a picture on the wall, you don't have to say art to God. You know, it's God does not, he's not stuck in the Elizabethan age. He speaks modern English and we don't have to thank him for the gift and the giver and ask him to lead God and direct and all those little spiritual cliches. We can just say honestly, God, what on earth is going on? I don't understand. Please talk to me. Please help me. He gets that. He likes that. He says, you get alone. You don't have to role play before God. You don't have to impress anybody. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from God and you'll begin to sense His grace. You just remember this. God wants to meet with me. Sometimes I think we come into the illusion that that we're waiting for God and maybe God will show up. God always shows up. God always keeps the appointment because God wants to meet with you. It made such a profound impact on me as a young adult when somebody drove it home for me that God has an appointed time with you every day. And he always shows up at that time. And he longs for you to show up there too. How would you respond if somebody else had an appointment with you? And you knew that they had come. That they were seated there in in your den or in your office or whatever. They were in their chair waiting for you to give them attention. Is there anybody else on earth that you would ignore and just leave seated over there and just eventually just leave it to them to figure out, I don't have time for you today. Come back tomorrow. Maybe I'll have time for you. I mean, most of us cringe at the thought that we would ever do that to another human being and to realize how many times have we done that with God, that he was there. It's part of the reason I just started doing the whole discipline of having a chair for me and a chair for God that every day in my office I would see that chair and be reminded God is here God is keeping the appointed time that I just leave him there and I I just got to the point I I realized I can't go through my day and, and let that happen that I would just blow him off that way so remembering that God wants to meet with with us is a big deal one of the very first verses that uh, as a young Christian that I memorized somebody pointed me to Jeremiah 33 3 it's a great passage it says ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know anything about things to come it's a cool picture of why this time is so important to get along with God that the Lord is saying I not only want us just to commune and get to know each other But I just love cluing you in on what's coming and what's happening around you so that you go in with real wisdom and insight and you can be a real difference maker in those situations. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's showing up to give you in part at least. But you've got to be faithful to the time. The third thing is that you've got to wait. You must be patient to wait for God to speak. And I think this is the part that trips us up the worst. One, we're busy, we're doers, and two, we've just been so trained that our minds are like a hamster on a wheel, aren't they? 
that it's just hard to ever slow it down. Our minds are just going at 5,000 RPMs. And hurry is the enemy of, of what we're talking about here. And you've got to just get to the place that you can quiet your heart and your mind in order to, to experience God there. And quite simply, hurry is the death of prayer life. It is. Some of us need to write that down. Hurry is the death of prayer. That's why Habakkuk said, I will wait. I will stand at my guard post and station myself. He's giving us this picture of, I mean, I guess in modern times, maybe the best picture would be like picture Windsor and the Coldstream guards as they stand there at full attention. You know, you've seen this in the news. You've seen it on television and they've got the... The outfits and the hats that we all kind of want to laugh at. But the, the thing that's so striking about them is no matter what goes on, what the tourists say and do to try and distract them, you cannot get them to lose their focus. They are at attention. They have a unique job in, in guarding Windsor and the, the royal family. And so they are always focused in on what they are there to do. And nothing takes them off a point. And it's a, a picture of what he's calling to mind. I'm going to stand my guard post. I'm going to station myself. I'm not going to move from this spot until God speaks to me. I'll guarantee you, you start building that kind of discipline and resolve into your life, and you'll begin to hear the voice of God speaking to you. So how do you do this? How do you calm your mind in a busy world when we're so accustomed to chasing so many things at, at one time? Well, I will tell you this, while we normally think of how our bodies follow our minds, it works in reverse too. Your mind will follow your body if you'll do the right things with your body. In Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. So if you're going to press in and do what we're talking about here, learning to just wait in the Lord's presence, start with your body and let your mind follow suit. So I'm going to do a little exercise with you. So you can set your notes and your pen down for just a minute. Just, just get in a comfy spot with nothing in your hands. I want everybody to just follow along with me. I want you to close your eyes. And first of all, I just want you to take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it for a couple of seconds. And then exhale through your mouth. Do it again. Hold it. Exhale. One more time. Deep breath. Hold it. Let it out. Okay, now keep your eyes closed. Now something mama never told you to do. She always told you to sit up straight. I want you to just relax your neck and your shoulders. Stretch your neck to either side. And now just intentionally slump. Just just let your shoulders sag and your back bend a little bit and... Just just let everything go limp. And now I want you to place your forearms on your thighs with your hands essentially on your knees. And I want you to think for a moment about the, the things that right now tend to get you tensed up. Whether it's work or marriage or kids health issues, whatever it is. I want you to think of those things and now I want you to make fists and just just let your fists hold those cares. Just in your mind, 
whatever's got me stressed, whatever's got me distracted, my mind's so busy. Hold that in your hands. Now I want you to just turn those palms down. Deep breath. And as you let that breath out, you just open your hands and you just release those things into God's hands. Just let go. And now just with an open hand, just turn palms up, just ready to receive from God. Now tragically, some of us are asleep by now. Because we're so stressed out and so tired and so so short on sleep that to sit this long with our eyes closed puts us to sleep. But this is just a beginning point. I'm going to let you, we're just going to do something weird. You just stay like that. You just stay in a position to receive with your eyes closed. Well, I'll just share a couple of other things about the whole thing of waiting in the presence of the Lord. The scripture tells us three things about how we should wait. First of all, it says wait quietly. Psalm 62.5 says, let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. As you just position yourself like this before the Lord, you first just let your body settle in, allowing your mind to follow suit. Don't start by talking a bunch. You may just start by saying, God... Just meet me here. Would you just draw me close? Start by just being quiet in His presence. Secondly, the Scripture teaches us wait patiently for Him. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Remember that inner calm helps to create an intercom between you and God. So I'm just going to really focus on just getting still and quiet before the Lord. This is not... New Age Meditation. New Age Meditation is teaching you to totally empty your mind. Christian Meditation is the opposite of that. It's getting still and quiet where we fill our minds with who God is and what He's saying to us. And a final word about how we wait. The Scripture tells us to wait expectantly. It's the faith factor that where we just say, God, I, I believe that you want to speak to me. I come to this time believing you're going to speak. Psalm 105.5 says, I wait expectantly. Trusting God to help, for He has promised. Okay, you can open your eyes because I just realized one thing. For the really OCD people in the room, we just did three blanks that you don't have filled in, and it's going to drive you crazy leaving the room. So, all right, now you can pick up your pen and your paper again because ten people will stop me at the door for this. Wait quietly, wait patiently, wait expectantly. Get those fill ins. You know it's the truth. Some of you are like, ah, that was going to kill me. Quietly, patiently, and expectantly. While you're filling that in, let me just remind you of this simple thing. To do what we're talking about, there's one adjustment, one little bitty adjustment that more than anything else will determine whether you succeed in what we're talking about today. And you know what that is? It's you deciding to go to bed 30 minutes earlier every night. Plain and simple. Because for most of us, we're so exhausted and our days are so packed that the thought of just being able to linger in the Lord's presence for a half hour, just to wait for Him, just to interact with Him, to spend more of that time listening than talking, it's not going to happen unless you turn off the TV, you turn off the cell phone, you turn off the computer 30 minutes earlier and get some sleep. So that you can get up earlier 
and just have the luxury of some time to be alone with God. And for some of us, in deciding to do that, you just got to ask yourself some real fundamental questions. Is 30 more minutes with Jimmy Fallon, 30 more minutes with Conan, 30 more minutes with Facebook, 30 more minutes with Snapchat going to change my life? No. But 30 more minutes with Jesus every day absolutely is going to change my life. Am I willing to turn the other noise off, get in bed, get to sleep, so that I have the luxury of time to be with God? You with me? All right, let's press on. The fourth thing is this. Watch. Listen with the eyes and ears of your mind. When I I watch, I'm, I'm letting God speak to me. Through mental pictures. It's so interesting that Habakkuk said, I will look to see what he will say to me. What's weird about that statement? Anybody think that's a little bit of a weird statement? I will look to see what God will say to me? How would you have said that? Yeah. If we were making the statement, we would say, I will listen to hear what God will say to me. That is not what Habakkuk said. He said, I will look to see what God will say. That's because God speaks more times than not in pictures than with words. Or a lot of times he'll combine the two. A lot of times he'll layer those two in my life. It took me a long, long time to grasp this. We tend to think that the pictures all came from us because we, a lot of us think in pictures. You ever pause to consider, because you realize there are kind of two different types of brains. There are verbal thinkers and there are uh, picture thinkers. You ever stop to think which one you are? You, you think primarily one way or the other. You think in terms of pictures or you think primarily in terms of words. How many of you are, are ver, uh, verbal, your, your word thinkers? Okay, interesting. Hands down. How many of you are picture thinkers? Quite a few more hands went up on that. It seems that God gives words more frequently in pictures. Thus the idea of, I will watch to see what God will say to me. I used to just always think that the, the pictures and thoughts like that that would come to mind, that I dreamed that up, took me a long time to catch on. That's how God is speaking so much of the time. Do you ever just stop to go, God, help me to understand what that picture was. When I ask a question and then this picture came to mind. Psalm 73, Asaph, the writer of, the, of quite a few psalms, said this. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. What he's trying to figure out is why he says, you know, I look at the world around me and it doesn't make sense. Because the ungodly seem to be doing great. They've got plenty of money, they never get sick, life's good. But the righteous seem to be suffering right and left. Seems like all kinds of bad things are happening to good people. And I tried to figure this out. I just got a bad headache trying to figure it out. Didn't make any sense until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I saw the whole picture. He had an encounter with God and the encounter with God wasn't about what he heard. It was about what he saw and God gave him a fresh perspective on all that's going on with him. And this heaviness that had set in on him was just suddenly lifted because he had heard from God. Well, we have to learn to watch. And a lot of times, it's a very simple practice. You know, what am I supposed to be doing? How do I go about this whole thing of watching? Well, a good thing to do for starters is ask God a specific question and then just be still and quiet for a couple of minutes and just see what happens. Sometimes you won't get anything immediately, but I'm amazed how much of the time God will give something just like that. 
So don't be afraid to ask God a specific question. Sometimes they can be open-ended questions. Sometimes it's as simple as you just say, God, is there anything that you're wanting to show me today that I haven't even been thinking about? And then just shut up. Just be quiet and, and just pay attention. And I know some people tend to get words more often. We were talking about this in a small group. Beth was commenting. She usually gets verbal stuff from God. I usually get pictures in those moments. God, is there anything else that I'm not thinking of that you want me to consider or to see? And he'll show me something. Sometimes it makes complete sense, and sometimes I'm like, that is weird as grits. I have no idea what that's about. And, you know, a lot of times as I go, God, what is that all about? He'll give discernment, and then sometimes I'll figure out, I think that was actually the pizza last night talking. But, uh, you know, it can be either one. If we'll press in, we'll usually be able to discern whether what we're seeing or hearing is from the Lord, and he makes sense out of that for us as we ask him specific questions. Um, Like I said, it can be open-ended, like, Jesus, is there just anything specific you want to say to me today? And then pause and listen. James offers us this wonderful encouragement. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him, and he will gladly tell you. For he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to tell you. And the other thing to do while you, you know, when you're watching is, is to just, you can look in God's word for relevant answers. His word speaks to so many different situations. Psalm 119, 18, David says, open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful things in your teachings. God, you know, as I'm looking for you to, to show me what it is you want to say to me right now, his word can be a big part of that. And then the fifth and final thing is what God says back as, as an, uh, to Habakkuk as a part of this picture is write it down. When God says something to you, how important is that? It's usually really important, isn't it? Well, it's important that we write it down to not forget it. The Lord says to him, write write down what I show you and write it clearly. It's a real fundamental deal to get into our minds that when we pray, what God says when we pray is way more important than what we said when we pray. You agree with that, don't you? Why did it take me a long time to grasp that? I mean, clearly I didn't because I was doing all the talking. When God speaks back, write it down. So journaling is a key part of this. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I just don't like to journal. We're not talking about keeping a diary. We're talking about keeping a record of what's happening in your conversations with God. So there's a bunch of ways to do this. A lot of times people will just draw a line down in the middle of the page and split it into two parts. Um... Where it'll be like, you know, one side says, uh, this is what I prayed for, these were my requests, and this is what God said or how he answered or supplied that need. You you can do it that way. Um, Some people will do a variation of that where, um, you know, one side is what I said to God, the other side is what God said to me. Those are great, and that works. But I want to offer a suggestion that maybe you've never tried before in journaling, and it is... That you just write at the top of the page every day for your journaling time of listening and waiting for God to speak to you. That you just simply write down at the top of the page, yesterday, what did I learn about life, love, God, money, sex, or friends? Just spell that out at the top of every page. Yesterday, what did I learn about life, love, God, money, sex, or friends? And then just be still in the presence of the Lord to reflect on what went down the day before. You will be amazed how many times just that one question, asking the presence of the Lord, and then just being still and quiet, 
how much God will bring to mind. Just rewinding the day. Because what God loves to do is just take us in, in bite-sized pieces day by day and say, All right, now that you went through this yesterday, I want to teach you a lesson about that. So many of us haven't learned to do that. There are folks all around you who maybe have been married for 30 years and they act like they've been married for about one year in terms of the dumb mistakes that they're making because in truth they've only been married one year and they've just repeated that year 30 times because they never get alone with God and reflect and let him teach them about life and love and relationships and intimacy and so you just make the same dumb mistakes again and again. When you do this and you actually write it down, you take it in at such a deeper level. David said in Psalm 102, write these things for the future so that people who are not yet born will praise the Lord. Uh, In Lent, the season of Lent that's just recently passed, I don't know if I've shared this, I don't think that I have, but um, Pastor Scott Davis, who popped in to visit this morning, who pastors Grace Church, our sister church just across the parking lot. He wrote a, a devotional series for every day of Lent this year that was great. Some of you did it, uh, I think. I shared it with some of you, but I loved it. It was written so differently because instead of it being a reading for every day, it gave you one or two simple questions to go and ask the Lord. And you just sit with your journal and you just listen for what God says and write it down and respond to that. It wasn't go read this in your Bible or read this inspirational thought that somebody else gave it just pressed you every day to just press into god on a simple question the very first day of lent uh, the the devotion for the day was simply go get along with god with your journal and just ask god to show you tell you what he thinks of you sounds really simple doesn't it and i would contend that that is one of the scariest questions that you'll ever ask in your life Go get alone with God and ask God to show you and tell you what does he think of you. You ever just pause to consider why that's such a scary question? Because first of all, we're not sure what God thinks of most of us. Most of us are a little bit afraid. We're convinced that God is very disappointed that he's the parent who goes, yeah, it's still my child, but I'm so disappointed. We're afraid that's how he feels. Or two, we're just scared he's not going to say anything at all. And what kind of commentary is that about how God feels about you? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's really scary, isn't it? What if I sit down and get along with God and say, God, just show me what you think of me, and you get crickets in return. Okay. You think of me, and I'm so important that you don't even answer when I ask. We're scared to death of questions like that. So I, you know, I'll confess. I'm like, oh, this could be good. This could be really painful. Sat on the first day of Lent with my journal. Okay, God. I really do need to hear. And in my heart, I'm feeling it. I'm like, I, I do need to hear the answer to this in a fresh way. God, will you show me? What you think of me, what you see when you look at me. And there's still a part of me after all these years of being a follower of Christ that's cringing on the inside like, oh, this may hurt bad. And at the risk of being too transparent, I'm going to share part of what God gave me. He, he showed me four things, and some of you are going to think I smoke crack on the side or something when I share this with you, but whatever. God can speak however he wants to. He showed me four pictures one at a time, and he spoke a verbal word about each one. And some of what he said I never would have dreamed of, and there were words I would have never used to describe myself. The first thing he showed me was a leopard prowling on the ground. 
Remember the question. Tell me how you look at me. Tell me what you see when you look at me. And he gave me two words verbally when I saw a leopard on the ground. Fierce and powerful. I would have never used those words to describe me. It's the first thing he gave. Then immediately, as soon as I wrote that down, I knew in my spirit he wasn't finished. Lord, show me what you think of me. He showed me a, um, a red cross. It was the side of like an old army ambulance, that, you know, that kind of red cross on a white field. Two specific words, helper and healer. I struggled through my entire adult life. I started out in college um, majoring as a pre-med student. Always felt torn between ministry and medicine. Had an interest in both. And, and the Lord just really pressed in a word about that. I made you to be a helper and a healer. I built it into you. A desire to see people spiritually, relationally, and physically healed. And I've given you an anointing for that. And you didn't have to become a doctor to practice that. Red cross was the second symbol. Third symbol was bales of hay. And a real specific, just very simple word. Feed my flock. That was it. And then the third one was the one that was actually the most meaningful. I'm not going to share all, uh, the fourth one. I'm not going to share all of it because some of it was very personal. But it was a, a picture of a fisherman standing on a boat casting a net. And he said more than a couple of words about that. But some of what he said was... Um, a fisherman and fisher of men. And some of what he gave is very, very specific verbally. He said, I love fishermen and I love you. And I have given you the same spirit of that fisherman, Peter. I've made you very much like him. Peter was overzealous at times. He was eager. He'd run ahead of himself. He'd get in trouble by doing that. And Peter had some really significant failures in his life. And he said... Of, of all the people that followed me, Peter was uniquely my friend. I, I just loved Peter, and I love you. And the very things that you feel like have disappointed me, just as Peter felt like a failure in, in some major areas, his ministry and his life emerged stronger after those than it was before. And I'm doing the same thing in your life. I share all that with you, not because I need you to, to look at me any differently, but just to tell you, all that transpired in a span of 15 or 20 minutes, one morning sitting in my chair by the fireplace. I cannot put into words the kind of impact that those type personal encounters with the Lord have on me. Wounds that it heals. Encouragement and just boldness that it stirs up in me because that's what my Father sees in me and declares over me. And how much that just causes fear and lack of confidence to just evaporate and be replaced with a, a holy boldness that goes, I don't have to believe the lies of the enemy that it, where he said this about me because I know what God said about me. I've got a little glimpse of God's vision for my life. I get a little bit of a picture of what God sees when he looks at me. And we all need that. And God is willing to give it. And it's not a great mystery how we get it. We press in. We settle in. We wait. The Lord said, Habakkuk, I will give this word. I will give a vision. You tarry. 
You wait for it. The Word is faithful. The Word will come. You wait for it, Habakkuk. And when it comes, you write it down. I don't want you to forget it. God has a plan for you. He does not want you to be a doorstopper. He doesn't want you to be a flat screen that functions as a picture frame. He doesn't want you to be a refrigerator that's never been plugged in, that's used as a mirror. He wants you to do the thing that you were made to do, but we've got to press in. We've got to be willing to wait. We've got to make time. We've got to believe that He wants to speak. And we've got to shut up at times and listen. Would you join me as we turn to Him right now in faith? God, thank you that you love us and that you've formed us for yourself, that you've formed us for purposes that matter, and we want to connect with you. We want to connect with what you've made us to do. None of what we've said today matters and can be put into any good use unless we have a relationship with God. So if you have yet to take that first step of faith I want to just invite you today nobody's putting pressure on you or trying to manipulate you but why don't you let today be the day that you begin a relationship where you connect with God and His plan for your life in just a simple faith response you don't have to say it out loud just pray in your heart with me Jesus I need you I'm tired of living life on my own terms I know I need your forgiveness in my life and I'm asking for it now. I know you died in my place. And so now would you give me a clean slate and a fresh start? Would you take the wheel? Would you take the reins and have control of my life? Would you speak to me and would you begin to lead me now? Thanks for hearing and answering my prayers. I assure you, if you prayed that in faith, God did answer. The truth is, there are a lot of us who have already taken that step. But we are not at a place where we're pressing in and hearing from God on a regular basis. Would you just declare to the Lord from your heart, if it's where you stand right now, God, I want to know you better. I want your vision for my life. I'm sick of making up my own purpose for my life. I'm sick of just trying to figure it out on my own. I want to see what you see. Would you begin to show me? And if you mean it, would you just say, Lord, I commit today. I'm going to press in. I'm going to make time. I'm going to find my watchtower. I'm going to make some adjustments so that I get time with you because I am hungry for your voice. God, I ask you to salt our souls today. Make us thirsty and hungry for more of you. And I pray that you would then satisfy us with your presence and with your words. We welcome your work. We welcome you. And we pray this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. We would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally any time that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. 
You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.